Hello and welcome to the final Genki Cupboard podcast of 2018. I'm Matthew Tin and as usual I will be bringing you a whole host of conversation on anime, games, music and everything else Japan. Firstly, I do realise there should have been a podcast last month in November, but I've been incredibly busy with work and going places, so it kind of got delayed, and I've kind of combined it into this one. So I think the first major topic to cover is what in the world I've been doing over the past two or three months. Before that though, we have the contact information. You can find us at Genki Cupboard on Twitter and at Genki Cupboard on Facebook. And you can email us at contact at genkicupboard.co.uk. Of course, please check out uh, the website at genkicupboard.co.uk. I'll be looking at some of our recent activity later, but uh, there's a lot of cool stuff on there to read and check out, so I hope you do. And... If you're looking for me in particular, you can find me at Emperor underscore Ng on the Twitters. So with that, I think we're just going to jump straight into things, uh, starting off with a review of Scotland Loves Anime 2018. So this goes all the way back to October, and I was in Edinburgh, yes, for Scotland Loves Anime 2018. Um... If you don't know what Scotland Loves Anime is, it is an annual film festival that's focused on Japanese animation, and you can usually find it on the second weekend of October at the Glasgow Film Theatre, and the third weekend of October at the Edinburgh Film House. I've been going pretty much every year for the past, what, four years or so now, and I can definitely say it's one of the premier events of the Japanese culture community calendar, in the UK, bringing people from all of the country and even from wider fields, uh, internationally even, with their visitors from Europe, the US and even occasionally Japan. Seeing so yeah, anime on the big screen is a really good experience and it lets you see stuff a good 6 to 12 months in advance before you actually get the home video, DVD, Blu-ray release. Even if we get one at all. Yes. I'm looking at you, Yo-Yo and Nene, which I'm still waiting for. This year's films had a wide range of stuff, from the family-friendly to the more hardcore, so there was pretty much something for everyone. The main focus of the festival this year was Mamoru Hosoda, with the release of his latest big feature film, Mirai, or as some people know it as Mirai no Mirai. And to celebrate, we had a run of all of his previous films during the week, which I sadly didn't get to see, as I only arrived on the Friday for the start of the main weekend. I've seen The Girl Who Left Through Time at SLA before. I guess it would have been good to see Summer Wars, as that's my personal favourite. Uh, Wolf Children is okay, I like it, but it's, it's not the best, and Boy and the Beast I haven't seen, and uh, I would like to at some point, but it's not really high on my priority list. But anyway, um, I'm going to look at some of the films, and well, all of the films probably, and just give a rundown of what I thought uh, quickly on each one. So I'm going to start off on the Friday where we had, first of all, the double combination of Walking Meat and Calamity of a Zombie Girl. Walking Meat is a fun short about a company that processes zombies for food. It hires some new employees and they get a company tour on their first day, but things start to go drastically wrong and we end up with them having to fend off hordes of these zombies which have been kept ready to chop up into little cans. So this one was actually really really good fun and a lot better than the main feature. Um, I really like the cast of characters in this. It was very much a character piece um, where you had 
all these different characters interacting and kind of based on certain well kind, kind of stereotyped in that you had like one guy who was quite bookish and wanted to play by the rules then you had the best character which was the girl who was always on her phone and always on social media uh, she was a fun character uh, oh it wasn't the guy that played by the rules it was the the other girl um, oh, there was a guy as well um, oh, I can't remember exactly his character but I guess he didn't leave that much of an impression on me then. But yeah, um, re re really fun, just quick half hour adventure around this zombie factory basically. Um, yeah, really enjoyed that. Then you got into Calamity of a Zombie Girl straight after, and because we've had su such a good opener with this mad adventure in the zombie factory this was terrible calamity of a zombie girl was terrible to follow up with i think on on its on its own it might have been like a bit of a laugh um in the so bad that it's good way but following straight after something decent was a bad idea um because it's just bad <laughs> um yeah in general, it was this year's most widely panned film, and it sees a group of students caught up in the night of, well, calamity, is all I can put it as. As uh, one of them, this um, young woman, decides to steal this gem that's in a body in a coffin, and this gem is actually uh, a it holds the life force for this mummified person. Like they call it a zombie girl, but it's, it's not really correct. Like the way the way that the um, monstrous, like oh I've just come alive, uh, girl. She she's more of a vampire, like just a really strong vampire who can punch and kick things very very hard and do some ridiculous stuff. Um, Later on, you see lots of fights and, like, bodies getting chopped up and stuff like that, and, um, because there's one plot point where she loses her head, and she basically sticks it on the superglue, but, uh, the glue doesn't work, so in, in one scene, she gets her head basically dunked in a basketball hoop which is quite funny but apart from that um, it was just really bad it was Gonzo um, I'm not that much of a fan of Gonzo's stuff to be honest and it, it felt very early 2000s schlock horror basically uh, that, that was the kind of vibe I was getting from it but yeah uh, that, that one didn't go down too well at all so, following that, we had something a lot better. We had Blam, not Blame, it's Blam, with a Q&A session with Polygon Pictures' Jack Liang. So, Blam is a very good dystopian sci-fi film that's quite easy to get into, and it actually feels rather standalone compared to what I've heard from the people who've read the manga. So... It's about this group of humans fighting for survival at the end of civilization, where rogue robots and androids will hunt them down if they try to stray outside of their dwindling village. So there's this group of young kids, and they say, oh, we, we've run out of food, we're going to die, basically, and uh, we want to help. So they go out, uh, without permission uh, and they want to try and help the situation but uh, things don't go as planned of course and they end up getting attacked by the robots they are saved by this lone person who um, 
appears and defeats the robots. It's like, oh, you're after food? Well, um, I I know where food is. And uh, they basically take this guy back to their village who then accepts his offer for help and they go and find some food. Um, then there's all the subplot about the robots coming to attack the village and having to defend the village and stuff like that. But yeah, um, it's got a decent story to it, to be honest. And as an introduction to the series, I thought it pulled itself off really well. It really explained what the robots were and how they worked and how society is at the time and stuff like that. And characters were pretty decent. Uh, the lone hero guy, uh, he's really good. Um, a lot of the characters kind of get retconned at the end. Well, not retconned, but dispersed with. Not not in a bad way, I might add, in a good way. In that th- things happen and basically all's fine and well for a time. As far as I know, these characters aren't in the manga at all, so they're just used in the film. So it serves up a nice introduction. Action scenes were also good. Um, Plenty of uh, robot killing and robots killing other people. So if you want to see robots kill people, this is your thing. But yeah, um, this uh, film is available on Netflix, so you can watch it anytime if you have a Netflix subscription. Um, then after the film we moved on to the Q&A which was really insightful actually into how Polygon Pictures operate and it was interesting to hear how long they've been around and what projects they've been involved in and stuff like that because like in the anime scene in particular Polygon like erupted onto the scene with um, Knights of Sidonia and they've kind of kept up a good profile since then doing all these different uh, CG works so they've become known for their particular blend of uh, computer generated anime and a lot of people do enjoy it so I hope to see more from them in the future but um, yeah really interesting to hear how the studio works and how it comes about and stuff like that Then, to finish off the Friday, we had I Want to Eat Your Pancreas, which is nothing about the title, well, practically at all. Um, uh, This was one of the favourites of the SLA crowd this year, and it's kind of a tragic, romantic drama where this girl who's slowly dying of pancreatic disease kindles a very unlikely friendship with basically the loner of her class after he finds out about her condition. As she hasn't really told anybody outside her family, even her close friends, so having this kind of a secret between them kind of binds them together and has quite similar tones to Your Lie in April, but I don't think it's as well executed. Um, It's often very manipulative towards the audience and it plays certain scenes in such a way to get you to feel certain things um, and those things might not be quite what you need to feel at that point um, it's it's trying to force things onto you artificially where it could have done better in certain ways to make it more natural it's so it's good but it's definitely flawed and I'm not going to go into the ending but I do think it is a cruel ending and quite overplayed in how things come about. I didn't quite like how it done it. But overall it's decent. Difficult to assign a number to it, but I'd say between seven and eight. Um so it's good. Not not brilliant, not not the best they showed at all. Um but as I say, got a go go reaction out of the crowd at the time and uh I can't remember if this won the audience award or not, but um, anyway, it was very high up there. So then we move on to the Saturday where we had, uh, first off, Penguin Highway, 
which is a fun coming-of-age film about strange goings-on in a particular Japanese town. And we see these penguins at the start of the film suddenly appear in the field, just randomly, just this load of penguins in a field in Japan. It's like, what's up with that? So we see the world through the eyes of 10-year-old Aoyama, who's uh, very inquisitive, and on seeing the penguins, thinks, hmm, that's rather strange. I wonder why that's happened. So he goes off and decides to investigate what they're actually about. So a lot of the film is him and uh, his best friend and uh, a girl they meet up with at one point uh, trying to investigate uh, what's up with these penguins and uh, how they involve um, this young woman uh, who's a dental nurse at uh, the lad's dentist. Being the 10 year old kid, his uh, baby teeth is still falling out, so he goes to the dentist to get them treated or something. Um, and he strikes up an odd relationship slash friendship with this dental nurse. And this nurse is very much integrated with the story. Uh, she's definitely one of the main characters and uh, trying not to spoil things here but a lot of the film's plot kind of revolves around her and she is an interesting point to revolve around certainly for Aoyama who again uses his inquisitiveness that oh the, this person she's a woman what, what does she do that kind of thing. But yeah, it's uh, it's a good film. It has a lot of uh, fun and silly moments. But um, it also has some points to make about saying goodbye to people. Uh, potentially dealing with death, uh, love and several other mature topics from like uh, a young kid's perspective. But uh, overall, this was a great work from Studio Colorado. Um um, the significant jump up from the advertising work because Studio Colorado they're mostly known for animating like advert adverts and commercials and stuff like that so this was their first feature film and it was a great effort and I hope to see more film stuff from them in the future following up Penguin Highway was Mirai uh, Mamoru Hosoda's latest film which was supposed to be the highlight of the festival. And it was met with a wide range of reactions. In my point of view, it is a good film, but at the same time, slightly underwhelming compared to his pedigree. Maybe we expected too much of him in that regard, to be honest, um, as a follow-up to some of his previous works. Um, but it's a film quite personal for him, and you can really tell that. And it seems to resonate well with their family audience. And if you are a parent like he is, you will relate to a lot of what this film is trying to tell you. As someone with a younger sibling, I also found it relatable from that perspective. Although with a misleading lack of focus on Mirai herself, as what was originally billed as isn't quite what it actually is. So I thought this was going to be more focused on like future Mirai meeting her younger brother and going on this magical adventure kind of thing. But it's actually not. It's more about the little brother Kuhn. Um, Kuhn like discovering um, himself kind of kind of working out the way the world works now that um, his parents now have this new younger daughter and basically adjusting to how he fits in the family and how he can grow up from that basically. It's quite an episodic film and could easily be split down into four or five separate episodes. I like the emphasis on the trains um, and some of the train theme jokes really hit a chord with me and some of my friends who 
not train enthusiasts varying degrees. But um, these episodes, the, like the train one, is uh, especially good. Uh, you've also got uh, this one where he's basically learning to ride a bike, and um, he fails at first, and is kind of upset that his father isn't really paying much attention to him and isn't really trying to help because he's got the tend to Mirai so Kuma's kind of throwing the tantrum and then we get a mystical um, time travelling adventure to his great-grandfather's time um, where he's on a motorbike and um, through this kind of like timey-wimey dream sequence um, his great-grandfather kind of gives him the courage to try again and uh, gives a few hints and tips into riding bicycles and other, other things on two wheels so yeah that, that, that was a really good moment but yeah um, overall kind of unwhelming compared to some of the other stuff he's done but still good um, if you are the right audience you will definitely find it really enjoyable um, if not you'll still like it but not to the same degree following Mirai we had My Hero Academia The Two Heroes now there's not that much to say about this one really um, the story says All Might Midoriya and several other UA students attending an expo on this um, island which is known for making unique and high quality hero support items. However, there's trouble afoot and a group of villains attack the opening reception and it's basically up to Midoriya and his friends to save the day. It's really a typical Shonen Jump movie that's when compared to the actual TV series feels lazy and underwhelming. The quality of the animation is not great, not great at all, especially for a movie where you would think they would have more budget to work with. For example, there's this one scene where you've got this long-range shot of Midori and All Might standing in the lodge courtyard um, near the entrance to our island, and the characters' faces aren't even drawn in. And even to, like, someone who would particularly give that a pass, I, th I think I heard people still notice that particular thing and think, what? That looks not finished. <laughs> but yeah, um, good half of the film, definitely the first half, is a lot of just baseless fan service with the likes of, oh, character X is here by some superfluous reason when uh, the reason for like a lot of the main cast being at this what is really an industry event could have uh, been saved by two words um, according to someone who I went to see the film with and they said school trip and I thought that just works if, they, if they'd just said oh we're going on a school trip that would have just worked but instead they had to come up with these stupid reasons why Bakugo was there, why the the main tree of girls were there. It's like, you don't need to do that. And then we get um, lots of sequences of uh, climbing upstairs, all leading up to a final fight, which is actually pretty good for what it's worth. And uh, it puts across the franchise's strong action scenes really well. Like Mirai, this is another film that had nationwide screenings after SLA. And while my intention was to go to a subbed and a dubbed screening, I ended up seeing it dubbed twice due to being up one of the cinemas where they didn't receive the sub version on time. If it was a decent dub, I wouldn't have minded, but hearing the dubbed voices for the first time, I really didn't like it. As someone who's like studied a bit Japanese, the mispronunciation of names really, really irked me. 
I don't understand how that happens when you have the Japanese language version to directly reference, but practically every single name they're totally butchered. And it just just doesn't make sense. But oh well. Um that was my hero academia anyway. Um it was it was alright for what it was, but I wouldn't particularly um after after I seen it once subbed and twice dubbed, I wouldn't really go out of my way to see it again. The other film on the Saturday was the old English uh, manga UK dub of Cyber City 0808, which I missed as I was guesting on Nekades instead, but I would return to the cinema on the Sunday for Fate's Denied Heaven's Feel Movie 1, Presage Flower. This one is definitely one for the Fate fans, as I know I really enjoyed it, but the people I know who hadn't seen Fate before or didn't like the series just didn't have a clue what was going on beyond the flashy fight scenes. The film spends a lot of its early running time introducing Sakura as the heroine, and then it decides to skip over the important plot points of Shiro getting fatally wounded by Lancer, been healed by Rin and her red magic gem thing, then actually summoning Saber. I guess it kind of knows what slice of audience it's going for, but by doing so it shuts out anyone who hasn't seen Fate before, but might just be interested. Fate's a difficult thing to get into at the best of times, but you don't really want to be making it harder for people. For fans though, as I say, it is a good film. And that definitely starts going deeper into the lore and introducing new concepts like the hero eating shadow thing and the Zoku Mato as uh, the main villain of this one. And UFO Table really go at it and uh, continue the excellent animation quality that we see in Unlimited Blade Works. The fight scenes are incredible, just the, the way that it's all animated is really really nice so if you're a fan, definitely worth a watch. Um, if not, Papa score see Unlimited Blue Books first, then come back to this. Coming off the back of it, we had Hi Karasan, uh, Here Comes Miss Modern. This is the first film in a set of two. Um, and this was really the surprise of the festival and had a lot of people, including myself, questioning why this wasn't in competition. So this film and its sequel is a new anime adaptation of a popular shoujo manga written in the 1970s about uh, this young woman called Benyo in 1920s Japan who gets pushed into an arranged marriage despite not wanting to do so for wanting to be more upstanding and independent and uh, more with the times. It's a very strong shoujo piece full of humour, as well as a reflection on the changing social attitudes both in the 1920s and the 1970s. It's got this real strength in how it portrays its characters and creates a bunch of people you can really believe in, uh, from Benyo herself to to friends and family, like you've got a potential suitor there who's really good as a character, and then you've got the best one, which is the strange guy she picks up at this random inn where she ends up going to when she tries to run away from home kind of thing. Um, and he's hilarious. He's absolutely hilarious. Um, so this is one that can really be enjoyed by all anime fans. And I'm actually really hoping to see uh, this get a UK home radio release uh, sometime in the future. I know it's out in the US now, now the first film is, uh, so I hope someone in the UK does end up licensing this because it's really good and you should really watch it. After that we had Mobile Ship Gundam Thunderball Descend the Sky. Uh, this is a compilation film that ties together all of the episodes of the first season of Gundam Thunderbolt. And at this point, I'd imagine a lot of Gundam fans will have seen it in some form, as it's been available on free streaming twice in its episodic format, 
as well as the Japanese home video release and you've got to release it in the US and we now have the recent UK release. Thunderbolt takes place around the same time as the final few episodes of the original Gundam series. So while Amuro and the Earth Federation forces are preparing to attack the main Xeon base, the section of the space around the ruins of the space colony Side 4 sees a tough battle between the Earth Federation's Mura Brotherhood and Xeon's Living Dead Division. This clash sets up a rivalry between each side's heroes, Eo Fleming and Daryl Lorenz, that is set to rage beyond the One Year War itself. And it is a pretty brutal film that really hits home on the horrors of war as we see both crews become increasingly insane. There's no good guys and bad guys here. Both sides are really as bad as each other and it's really evident from early on that there's not going to be a clear winner out of this. The body count is high, but as it's the first part of a trilogy of films, they can't kill everyone off just yet but it sets things up nicely for the continuing conflict that we see in Band of Flower as we step more into Zeta Gundam territory. Thunderbolt has really been noted for its soundtrack and is completely infused with free jazz. It doesn't just provide accompaniment, it's the beating heart and soul of the film and the way it's been used is just absolutely incredible. You really need to experience it to hear what it's worth. So they did show the second film, Band of Flower, um, at SLA, but it fell off the schedules a bit and was on the Tuesday after the main weekend, meaning that a lot of people actually didn't get to see it, which was a bit of a shame. That said, I'm actually expecting the home video release to come in 2019. We have December Sky, so Band of Flower shouldn't be too far behind. Finally, to bring the festival to a close, or should I say just the main weekend, um, we had Jinro, the Wolf Brigade. And once again, I feel they made the mistake of putting a really heavy film on Last Thing, where nobody was really in the mood for it. As tired as it was, a lot of the film just washed over me. I guess it looked cool, but... Uh, for what it was worth, I couldn't actually tell you what it was about. I know there was some guy and some woman and uh, there, there was a lot of conflict and they were getting shot at. But um, apart from that, um, I'd have to watch the game really. And uh, I know this is getting a home video release soon enough. So um, I'll probably pick it up there and then uh, watch it when I'm more in the right frame of mind for it. So that was Scotland Loves Anime 2018. It was a really fun weekend and it was good to see, well, uh, probably everyone in the community I know really. Uh, I watched some good films, had a bit of an explore around Mort of Edinburgh. I looked at uh, the Botanic Gardens and headed up into the surrounding hills to Arthur's Seat. Spent some time with people and bought a bunch of manga. So uh, overall, it was a great weekend. November saw me going back to the cinema, albeit a more local one this time, for Pokemon the movie The Power of Us. Despite the rather cringy ending to the first Pokemon reboot film, my general thoughts on them has been that this was the right direction to go in. The films in the X and Y generation really weren't that good, and the underlying formula had become pretty steel. I Choose You was a step in the right direction, but The Power of Us takes that further, and with a new director and having a more character-driven story, this was a real breath of fresh air for the franchise. Despite having references to the second movie in the franchise, The Power of One, Lugia really doesn't matter much, and it's Zero Aura that takes the stage here. The movie is set around Fula City's Winter Festival, dedicated to Lugia after it brought rain to save the city after an explosion at a nearby power plant sent a fire ripping through the surrounding forest and into the city itself. For the current year's Wind Festival, we see Ash and a load of other people come to the festival. 
However, a set of events brings them together. There's this one guy, Callahan. He's he's a bit of a he's a bit of a lad. He's a bit of a joker, although he's like forty something. Um, he instigates rumours that a rare Pokemon is nearby because he wants to impress his little niece and uh, make her think that he's a real Pokemon trainer when he's actually not at all. Um, so he spouts these rumours, um, not thinking that what he is actually saying could be true. And he ends up threatening the life of Zoraora, who becomes the target of uh, Pokemon poachers. And uh, the festival at large is uh, Team Rocket starts getting mixed in and uh, gets up to some mischief to potentially snap a rare Pokemon. The change of director for this film was a really good move in the way it's translated into the film. Um, it's more character driven and based around the new mythical Pokemon, rather than just having the same old Ash saves the world storyline and shoehorning the mythical Pokemon into the film somehow. While each character has a part to play, it's the foolhardy Uncle Callahan and the new main lead, well, second lead to Ash, basically, uh, Risa, that uh, really steal the show. And as I say, they aren't even really Pokemon trainers. Risa is looking for an Eevee to give to her younger brother, who's currently in hospital. She runs into Ash, who sees her. Uh, she asks for help to catch one and he goes and basically teaches her how to catch a Pokemon. Um, through this it kind of conveys the magic of catching your very first Pokemon for the very first time and starting to bond with it really brilliantly. It's just so much more effective than even um, I Choose You was in like the original series uh, showing Ash bond with Pikachu. Particularly in I Choose You it kind of relies on you knowing that first original season of the anime and how things went there. But here it's more natural as you see the pair quickly form a friendship as they help out each other and help out the, the festival. You do get a similar feeling from Callahan and his uh, new pseudo-woodo partner who uh, helps him open up to his family a bit more and tries to get across the importance of being honest with yourself about who you really are. The film just brings together an unlikely gaggle of people together and makes them into true heroes and I just really enjoyed it. If you missed it at the cinema, this is definitely one to check out when it releases early next year. Turning to December, myself and a lot of other people I know and a lot that I don't know Descended on London's Olympia conference venue for a night of Vocaloid music with Miku Expo 2018. I must admit I've been out of the Vocaloid loop for some time now, and I'm certainly not as invested as I once was, but I still had a lot of fun here. We had a two-hour live show with a mix of classic and more recent Vocaloid songs backed with a live band. While it was better than I was expecting, it felt a little torn down compared to other idol concerts, uh, specifically because of region differences. Like if you are seeing a human artist, there will generally be a bit of emceeing here and there throughout, but apart from a short introduction at the beginning from Miku, it was basically two hours of wall-to-wall music. That isn't bad in and of itself, and certainly matches some other more Western artists, but I'm not exactly sure how these go down in Japan, but it felt like it was missing that extra bit of interactivity. Still, it was a great show, and it was technically impressive. The projected vocaloids were pretty lifelike, and there was a strong, like, illusionary experience with the use of lights and other imagery that's been projected onto the stage. The rockier tracks suffered from the venue choice. Like, it's hard to make a good rock sound in any venue, but in the Olympia, it was just all bass and the vocals didn't carry very well. 
The electronic tracks, on the other hand, were absolutely fine. And they were great fun to just stand there and wave your glow stick along to. Like, I, I, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was fun. Um, again, looking at more Japanese-specific idol culture, uh, the crowd atmosphere was a bit more muted, and I don't think that uh, many people knew what to do with calls and such. I know there was a fan group there with a call book around somewhere, but I didn't see them at all. But yeah, uh, despite not biting at first, and I actually hesitated in buying a ticket, I'm actually glad I went, as I did have fun, and it seems I got the right price with the standard ticket, as the VIP one didn't seem to be worth much, and there were quite a few complaints from the VIP crowd, like uh, being made to stand an extra hour compared to everyone else for a good spot, and the strange lack of seats in the seating area. The amount of time I spent queuing in general was also a pain. Like for going in, it was 4.30pm for the VIPs and 5.30 for standard. But the main queue formed at like 3ish or so, so um, that is quite a time to stand around waiting when we were already in the Olympia itself and we'd had tickets scanned and everything. So there's definitely things to improve on the organisational front, but overall, it was a cool event and I would sure recommend it to any Japanese music fan if they do bring it back here again. So that's basically what I've been up to these past three months or so. We'll now move on to what's new on the site. As I've been busy, there's not been much activity on the site recently. And a lot of my time has been reviewing stuff for Anime You Can Use. As I'm focusing more of my anime effort on there now, I'm going to try to use Genki Cupboard more for games, and in particular, music. I know I've got some single and album reviews I want to do, but the big thing I've been working on is my Super Mario Odyssey review, just recently published. You can read into my full thoughts in my review of course, but it has been a fun game to play. Mario isn't really my favourite Nintendo franchise, and I'm more of a Metroid and Zelda person, but Mario Odyssey is still a good game. As I mentioned in my review, it does suffer from a bad story, bad pacing and progression, and for the most part it feels a little bit too on the easy side. But yeah, uh, once I got the main story out of the way, I ended up enjoying it a whole lot more, and the way the post game is set up is kind of the way I would have had the main game, to be honest. Slight spoiler warning, I guess, but you end up trying to track down a certain character through each kingdom, and for this being a more sandboxy, exploration-focused game, I think that works a lot better than the way the main story did. So that was fun, but I'm kinda done with Mario Odyssey now, and I'm concentrating on Super Smash Bros. Ultimate at the moment. I may do a review of that in the future, uh, not quite decided yet, but uh, I'm really having fun with it. I didn't really play Smash 4 much, so to talk about what I played the previous game for in about a single week on Ultimate really says something for the accessibility to play, and just my want to play the game. But yeah, as I said, uh, not much activity on the site recently, and I hope to have uh, more in the future. So please, stay tuned to GenkiCupboard.co.uk for some awesome upcoming reviews and features very soon. Thinking of another thing I've been doing recently brings us nicely into our Idle Time segment. As it's the holiday season, I've finally got around to watching this year's Aikatsu Music Festival Blu-rays. You know, the one I was actually at in Japan in February. And I must say I've been really enjoying them and being able to see the idols in significantly more detail. And with all the dance moves and stuff like that, it's just absolutely great. What has been most interesting though is some of the behind the scenes extras 
that gave a little look into what goes on before, during and just after a live show. It's just interesting from a production point of view to see how everything is done, um, what the idols do when they are waiting for their next song. Uh, which seems to be wait around and mess around backstage for the most part. Uh, most shocking is that I'm actually on the Blu-rays. There's a nice section in the making of feature where they are putting a camera around the outside of the venue when everybody is just gathering outside. And lo and behold, there's me and Peter Schilter in full view of the camera. So that was a nice surprise. But yeah, uh, that was a really fun thing to go to and is definitely a good thing to rewatch. I've still been keeping up with iCats of Friends, of course, and since it hit the halfway point of its first season, around episode 25-ish, it's really turned up the wick and given us some excellent episodes as we focus more on the big uh, competitions. I felt Friends has lacked a lot of the character drama that made Stars so good, so getting into the thick of things, it's just starting to come into its own a bit here. We're getting better songs too, with the more gothic flavour of Sakia and Kaguya showing that the gothic songs are again some of the highlights for the franchise. And that's about all I have for uh, this edition of Idle Time. Uh, there's probably a lot more going on, it's just that I haven't had particular time to read up on everything lately. So that's all I've got for now, and we'll move on to Movers and Shakers. Talking about music, how about looking at how the Japanese charts are at the moment? In our Movers and Shakers segment, we take a look at what's hot in Japan right now, based off the Billboard and Oricon charts. And it's the idols that are hitting us up again, with a good mix of real and animated idol groups hitting the charts. Number one for the second week of December is SKE48 with Stand By You. With Kiyakizaka and Nogizaka doing well this year, the older sister 48 brand has been seeing something of a decline and I haven't seen many headlines about them this year at all, to be honest. They're still there, of course, but they just don't seem to be relevant anymore when there are far better idol groups out there. And number two on the Oricon chart, and number five on the Billboard Hot 100, it's Lisa with Adamus, providing a strong opening to the currently airing Sword Art Online Alicization. It's rocky, and gets the pretty aggressive, and although it's kind of typically Lisa, it's still really good and definitely one of the strongest tracks she's done recently. The popularity of Sword Art itself may have pushed it up, but it deserves to be in its strong position all on its own. At number three and number four on Oricon, it's All Bang Dream with Roselia taking the number 3 spot with Brave Jewel, and Poppin' Party taking the number 4 spot with Kizuna Music. The growing popularity of Roselia in particular is showing that the Bang Dream mobile game is also growing strong, and it's becoming really an idle property to be reckoned with. It's nowhere near on the scale of Love Live and Idle Master just yet, but given time, it could be right up there. These are lower down on the Billboard chart at 7 and 13 respectively, but even with popularity and streaming taken into account, they are doing pretty well. Rounding out the top 5 on Oricon is Magical Square, I think that's supposed to be, with Miru Miru Mirai Mieru. This poppy idol song serves as the opening to Magic Warrior Magi Majo Pures, the second series in Takara Tomi's Girls Heartrun series. It's a live action idol and magical girl show targeted at young Japanese girls, but has seen a good amount of success. That continues with the idol group in the show getting some popularity, it seems. For those interested in the show itself, uh, the first episode of the show is available on Takara Tomi's YouTube channel, 
completely free to view and region free. And as a little info tidbit, it's directed by Takashi Meike of all people, which is like for the genre, totally out of left field for him. Although JoJo's, I guess, but still, it's it's a departure from what he usually does. Looking back at Billboard, and we can see the popular tracks are still right at the top. The pump is still "Come On Baby," at number two with "USA." And Kenchi Yonezu is still up there with Flamingo at number three and Lemon at number four. I think this has been one of Kenchi Yonezu's biggest years and he's been really popular amongst Japanese music fans, uh, particularly since his collaboration with Daoko on Uchiha Hanabi. I guess that's helped raise his profile, but he's definitely great. And with that, that just wraps up all I had for this podcast. It's been a very exciting year with lots happening in the Japanese culture space and with me going off and doing things. Man with a Mission, Aikatsu Music Festa and Actual Japan, Kiri Pamu Pamu, Hyper Japan, Scott Loves Anime and a load of other films and Miku Expo. I'm already getting things lined up for next year so it's looking to be another good one. Until then, I'll bid you a very happy festive season. And if you're bored over the holidays, why not check out our website over at gengikubo.co.uk and read some of our past reviews and articles. Once again, if you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook, both at GenkiCubbard. I'll hopefully be back in January with another podcast, but until then, have a good one.